This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on the podcast today, I got my buddy recurring guest, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast, also from Buffalo 20, one of my favorites. Tons of topics today, including, of course, plenty of Buffalo Bills stuff. We'll discuss if we think the team overpaid for Stefan Diggs. We'll talk about a potential fantasy-style trade that would involve a guy like Christian McCaffrey. We'll talk about the new-look Buffalo Bills defensive line. Should the team go out and get an upgrade at backup quarterback? Somebody like Jameis Winston is still out there. Is that a viable option? Would that work in Buffalo? We'll hit on that. Plenty more Bills stuff. And also, we'll talk some Sabres. Terry Bagula been in hot water among Sabres and Bills fans and actually people all over Western New York based on some things that have happened with the Gula Sports and Entertainment since the coronavirus hit. We'll talk about if Jason Bottrell should get a fourth season, assuming that the NHL, certainly the regular season appears canceled and the Sabres are done playing games this season. We'll hit on that, talk about the coronavirus, what we've been doing with our lives, how things have changed since this happened. Plenty more. My man, Jeff Boyd, really good stuff. I had that for you in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings, such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels and the difference has literally been remarkable night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls, decide it looks pretty and call it a day. It might look the part, but it's not going to improve your sound. Visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound, do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. And on that note, let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you doing? What's up? Hopefully everyone is out there staying safe. Episode 207, Moranalytics Podcast. Thank you, as always, for continuing to listen. Download the podcast. It means a lot to me. I'm going to have Jeff Boyd on in just a minute. Before that, though, a real quick story here. Some of you out there, regular listeners, it is nice to know that I have enough regular listeners who notice this. Did not have a podcast on Friday. Now, of course, I have 
a show that's scheduled. I do every Tuesday and every Friday. And I'm going to quickly tell you what happened on Friday. I'll give you the short version first. The short version is I'm a complete stupid idiot. The more detailed version, and I won't bore you too much with too many details. But anyway, when I have a Friday show, for an example, I either generally speaking, if it's something very time sensitive, I'll tape it very late Thursday night. But for the most part, depending on who the guest is or if I have one, I either tape on Wednesday or Thursday evening. And this is for the Friday morning show that hits uh, your devices overnight on Thursday going into Friday morning. Well, anyway, I was doing a solo podcast on Friday. I already knew that. I had a 10-topic Friday show lined up where some listeners submitted some topics for me to discuss. Originally, I was going to tape it on Thursday night. That was my plan. Well, anyway, Thursday night, been a little, meh, I don't want to say sick, but I've been a little meh lately. So I decided just wasn't worth that. I didn't have any energy. So I went to bed early on Thursday. And my plan was to get up, record the episode on Friday morning, and hopefully get it out by around lunchtime on Friday. Now, there's a routine for listeners and a lot of podcasters out there. You already know this. The goal, you always want your podcast out first thing when somebody wakes up in the morning. You want that on their device because a lot of people who listen to your show will listen to it in the morning, whether it's in the gym getting a workout before they go to work or, of course, on the drive to work in the morning. So I already knew I was going to miss that and that sucked, but it wasn't the end of the world to me. I said, well, at least I can get it out by lunch hour because that's another time along with the late afternoon rush where most people will consume a podcast. So I wake up on Friday morning, record the episode. I was happy with it. Good 50, 55 minute episode or so. And then I go and edit it. That's my process. You record and then you edit it. I basically, I add sound to it, you know, flavor up the sound a little bit, add some compression. So the sound's more balanced, not too high, not too low. The listener doesn't have to turn up or down the volume on the phone or whatever device it is that they're listening on. Add a little EQ, just some things here and there. You know, you might take a little chunk of the podcast out that you're not happy with, or you might want to tighten it up a little bit, things like that. You make sure there's not a lot of background noise, just basic editing stuff. So if it takes you 50 minutes to an hour to record something, it's usually going to take that plus a little bit more to go and listen back and edit it, to tighten it up. So that's what I do. Here's the problem. Very last thing I do at the end of the podcast, the end of the segment, I take a quick 10 second music bumper. That's like music that'll lead you into a segment or take you out of a segment. So I insert that into my audio file. Again, I spent an hour recording and an hour plus editing, put that last 10 seconds on there, and then I delete the music bumper as a separate file. Well, long story short here, and this is why I said I'm a stupid idiot. I deleted the wrong file. I thought I deleted the 10 second bumper. I ended up deleting the entire freaking audio file. So because I'm stupid and because I wasn't paying attention, I deleted it and I didn't save it. So I was stuck with nothing. Literally, my podcast was a 10 second music bumper at the end. I can't even tell you in words at the time. I could semi laugh about it now, but I promise you on Friday it was not laughing whatsoever. And here's the worst part, folks. This is why I'm really, really stupid and mad at myself because when I do a, a solo podcast, if I have a guest on and re record it, because more times than not, it's a, a remote guest. 
such as Jeff Boyd, who will be on with me in just a couple minutes here. I record that externally onto my recorder, which is a very good external recorder. Then I transfer those files onto the computer. And then I work on them. I edit them and put them together and bam, you know, do all the other stuff that goes with doing the podcast. And then bam, it's out for all you to consume. But when I do something solo, such as like me talking right now, I record directly onto the computer. That in itself could be risky enough because you could do something stupid like I did or your computer crash halfway through and you could lose it. But here's the thing for somebody like me with my setup, that in a million years should never, ever happen because I also have an external recorder. Right now I'm doing it, but I didn't do it last week. I'm recording this right now while it's going into my computer, which I'm also recording on my computer. So basically your external recorder is your backup. And like a dummy, I did not take advantage of that. And I haven't, to be honest with you, until then. Sooner or later, it was going to catch up. And it did last Friday. This was something unnecessary. Didn't need to happen. Now, I still would have lost the editing and had to do that again. But at least I would have had the file. So long-winded story short here. By the time I realized this, and this was already going into lunch, if I would have done the episode again, which I did not want to have to record the same stuff over again and then edit it, it would have been pushing rush hour traffic on Friday. So I decided, you know what? Just not worth it. Now, had it been a Monday, maybe I would have missed out on that Monday listening crowd, but it's still because the content wasn't too time sensitive. People could have still caught up and listened to it on Tuesday. Not that big of a deal, but because it was my Friday show and not a Tuesday show, you're talking people leaving work Friday. I mean, even quarantine or not, you're still leaving work Friday and you're in weekend mode. You're not probably listening to a lot of sports podcasts and things like that. You got the whole weekend ahead of you. You're doing stuff around the house, spending time with your family, whatever. And then by that time it's Monday and it's already completely forgotten about. So because I'm stupid and made a rookie mistake, which is unacceptable considering this is podcast number 207 right now, that's why there was no show on Friday. So very sorry for the people out there who do Listening to the podcast every episode, that's the explanation. Can't assure you that it won't never happen again, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure like something like that never happens again. So that's the explanation, folks. And on that note, I've been talking way too much here. I want to get into today's episode. It is a good one. I got Jeff Boyd on. Plenty of bills, plenty of savers, really good stuff with Jeff. So let's not waste any time. Here it is right now, my chat with Jeff Boyd. All right, I'm with Jeff Boyd. I'll tell you what, Jeff, you were on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We talked in early March, and at that time, this coronavirus was just starting to have an impact on society, and more specifically, because this is a sports podcast, so more specifically sports. Obviously, things have changed an awful lot in the last couple of weeks, man. Let me start by asking you this. First of all, how you doing, man? It's been a couple of weeks. How you been? Well, you, you know, I, I left that last interview about three weeks ago with you saying that, you know, I plan the next time we got together probably be after I took a vacation to Hawaii because I was supposed to fly there uh, last Wednesday. As you may imagine, with everything going on, That's I am right. firmly located back in my apartment in suburban Buffalo. So uh, but honestly, in the grand scheme of things, considering how it goes and how everyone's dealing with, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thankfully, everyone is everyone is good. I haven't lost my job or anything at this point. So considering how the world is, I'm good and hope that everyone's listening and you yourself as well are doing okay. I totally forgot about that, that you were supposed to go to Hawaii. I just remember that now. So how has this affected you? Obviously, like you just said, it hasn't affected 
your regular job. I've been very fortunate. I've been working at home for the last three or four years since I moved down to Florida. So in terms of my regular job, it hasn't affected me. But like in terms of like a secondary job or your hobbies, things that you know you like to do, this has impacted everybody on various levels in society. So what about yourself? Now, I know you do two podcasts and one of them, 716 Sports Podcast. That's a show that I very much enjoy that usually comes out on Tuesdays, but that's a show unlike me and you right now who are rapping via Skype, you guys get together and tape it in person. Obviously this changes the game for that. So that I know for sure that that's had an effect on you, that podcast. What else? Yeah. So we, we've, uh, we're working on some ways to get that back going digitally, but yeah, we've always recorded that one just in person for all the years we've done it. So that one's been kind of on a hiatus. And now that we don't know how long it's going to be before we can get back together, we're working on some ways to get that back. So hopefully by next Tuesday, uh, if you're listening to this here on Tuesday, the 31st of March, hopefully by by next Tuesday, the 7th, you'll have that show back for you. I mean, personally, I mean, all the, the hockey tournaments and playoffs that were supposed to be happening here in the month of March were all canceled. Uh, so I was going to work the um, the men's hockey championships for Atlantic Hockey Conference last weekend. Those were canceled. Uh, Buffalo Junior Sabres playoffs round two was supposed to begin a week and a half ago. Those were just canceled. They advanced to the second round and then. Those eight teams that made the second round all just get one eighth of a championship here this year. So uh, a lot of the the outside of the nine to five hour stuff I do uh, has been pretty much just completely erased. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's certainly changed that part of my my day, my life a lot. I'll tell you, man, and I'm not complaining right now because in the grand scheme of things, all that really matters is being safe. And I'm sure everyone listening would agree to that. But my boredom has reached the pinnacle, I think, already at this point. And now, again, in fairness, dude, I work from home, okay? So I'm home all week from nine to five doing my regular job. I do this podcast twice a week from a home studio, which ties me home a lot more. I don't go out very much anymore. So it's not like I'm the kind of guy who's out and about typically to begin with, but it's just like whole new levels of boredom. I'll give you a quick example here. This is how bad it's gotten. Last Friday... My wife and I, and again, typically on a Friday, we probably don't, we wouldn't always go out, but I feel like we'd be doing something at least. Anyway, this past Friday, a friend of ours down here in Florida that we've become buddies with, his name's Dan, he hosted a Facebook live chat. And you know what he did? He cut his hair on Facebook, his own hair. And hundred, like a hundred people tune into this shit, like 300 something comments. And we sat there on a Friday night at 10 PM and watched this dude take an electric razor and cut his own hair because there's no barbers open around here. That's been like our source of entertainment. What's going on in everything lately. It's just, <laughs> it's getting to that point, bro. Oof, this is, it's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a, I'm not a huge, like outside of my, my work commitments and everything. I'm not a, I'm not a guy who's out like closing down bars or anything. Just not having the ability to go out and do anything uh, has, even though, even if I wouldn't normally be doing something during a particular time frame, knowing that I have to sit here, Really, just it makes it feel so much longer. Yeah, true. Have you watched what about TV? Like, uh, you're not see, this is what I'm talking about. You're normally, and I've gotten to know you a little bit, you're a very busy person. You have a regular job, and you just talked about a lot of the other things you do calling games, doing two podcasts. You have other hobbies, so you usually got a lot of shit going on. So, with everything that's kind of slowed to a halt besides your regular job right now, have you gotten a chance to? Get into having any TV shows, whether it's something new. Have you went back and rewatched anything, anything like that recently? 
See, I don't, I don't normally not a big TV guy at all. Like, right. Honestly, during the week, if it's not like live sports or keeping up with the Sabres, the Bills and things like that, I do not watch a lot of TV. Uh, I am previously as pre- uh, presently as of this episode, three, three episodes into watching Tiger King, uh, which I think everyone is talking about on the Internet. So I haven't finished it yet. Uh, it is bananas. So I will probably finish that in the next couple of days after that. I don't really have any plans. Um, I've gotten Letter Kenny recommend, recommended to me by a lot of people. I'm a few episodes into that, so I might start working on that. It really depends on how long I'm trapped inside because all I have to do is get myself through to this point. Mentally, just got to get to the NFL draft because once the NFL draft happens, I can just, just binge on that for three or four days, and that'll that'll tide me over a little bit here until the next lull. Um, but I really, at this point, I have no idea how I'm going to fill all of this time that is normally spent doing a lot of things that I was going to be in three different states over the next three weeks for work and just for, for personal travel and going to spend a lot of time inside the walls of this apartment here and in, in sunny Tonawanda. <laughs> I'll get back to the NFL draft. I'm glad you brought that up in just a second. Tiger King, obviously I'm not going to give you any spoilers. I did watch it pretty much like everyone else on the internet. The only thing I could say, and again, I'm sure you're starting to realize this already is that it's crazy and it's going to get your three episodes in. So it's going to get a lot crazier. Did you almost give up on that show, though, early on? I did. After one episode, I'm like, because I heard a lot of the hype like you've heard now, and I'm sure that's a big reason why you're watching it. The first episode didn't do a lot for me now in hindsight, and I'm not giving anything away to people who haven't watched it yet. It's more about getting to know the people. Nothing really happens so much in the first episode. It's kind of like marinating. I compared it once on this show last week to like Breaking Bad, for me personally anyway. Breaking Bad is one of my all-time favorite drama series, but I hated the season one so much. It was it was boring to me, but in hindsight, I was like getting about to know these characters so that when shit does start to hit the fan, you know what's going on. You know what I mean? Did you get, Yeah. were you at yeah. that, that trial period early on where you're like, eh, I don't know, man. For me personally, I, I wouldn't say I was like super engrossed in the first episode, but I wasn't ready to give up on it because I had absolutely no idea that this part of culture existed. I had no idea there were these guys who had thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of these exotic animals just chilling in personal zoos and everything. So the interest in learning about that took me through until the end of the first episode when things really start to go down. Um, but yeah, the, the second and third episodes. And from what I've heard, you're not the first person who's told me that it just keeps getting crazier uh, so I'm I'm excited to f- to finish. So by the next time you and I record together, whenever that will be, I will definitely have finished that and gone through whatever the rest of the internet phenomenon. And Netflix definitely lucked out by getting this out at the time that they did. I wonder how much they rushed through the final stages of editing uh, because they have captured the kind of the zeitgeist of this moment. Everyone looking for some sort of new entertainment, something to talk about. And they, they all it feels like every media person that I follow on Twitter or interact with has all watched this over the course of the last week. Yeah, and I'm very much once you do finish watching, I'm very much looking forward to what your take is on it because it doesn't feel like there's no in between people and the majority of people love it. But the people who don't they really hated it a lot. So it's kind of like one of those no in-betweens when it comes to that. So I watched that. And also, oh, by the way, the big cat rescue that, that Carol owns, that's like yes. not even an hour away from me. So as soon as she settles down here, if it ever does, if we could ever go back out and do things in the world again, that's literally going to be probably the first place that I go to. I can't wait <laughs> to do that. Another documentary you might want to check out, people listening to, called I Love You Now Die. Tim Graham recommended this. It's an HBO documentary. It's a two-parter. That's really good. I don't want to get too much into details, but it's about two, teen, two teenagers 
They're really oh, it's that, it's that text conversation one. Yes, right? yep, yep. And I remember I, hearing that news story. Yeah, and see, maybe me being drunk a couple of years ago all the time and not paying attention to what was going on in the world kind of saved me because I didn't know anything about it. Whereas a lot of other people already know what happened, so I had no clue. I was clueless, but that was kind of wild. And then I just obviously finished rebinging the office, and I'm probably gonna run that back at some point. In fairness, though, I started binging that for this year before uh, this outbreak came back. One question, though, and then I do have some specific sports stuff, people out there listening that we're going to get into. But when you just mentioned the draft, as a podcaster right now, you're talking about whether you're on with me or the boys at 716 Sports Podcast. Like you said, you guys are working on it digitally. Right now, thank God for the NFL because everything else is down for who knows how long. And we have plenty of NFL stuff to keep our, to play, our plates full with content. What, what's going to happen if nothing changes? And that certainly might be the case. So the NFL drafts at the end of April, that happens. And then maybe one or two weeks, we'll be breaking down picks. You know, how does this affect the bills and blah, blah, blah. What do you do during that month, six week period, maybe longer where they're literally, when it comes to sports, they're going to be shit to talk about, man. It's going to get hard. This is not easy right now. And it feels like it's going to get a lot harder after the draft. Yeah, and the the toughest part about all of this at this point is no one has any idea what's going to go on. We don't know how bad it's going to get. We don't know how long it's going to be or how slow it's going to be to get back to any sort of normality. We don't know if any of these leagues are going to be able to find a way to get some sort of games together, whether they're in random smaller arenas without fans or whatever, because you know the NBA or the NHL would love to find a way to get themselves back on live TV as soon as it's safe and possible because the money is just... I know they lose that, that gate money but just imagine the advertising dollars the bidding wars that you'll have from all these networks trying to get your games on i'm sure that as soon as there's a way there'll be sports on whether that's a month two months three months four who knows uh but you're and this is a part of the year too where you're never really ever worrying about sports content because on top of the nhl and nba seasons winding down the draft is looming we would have had a final four for march madness determined yeah. yesterday we're recording on monday night so yesterday would have been the elite eight games I this it it feels bizarre because during the summer, if you're not a baseball guy, and I'm I'm a baseball guy, but I know some people who don't watch baseball or don't enjoy it. This is what every summer is like, just in March when you can't go outside or do anything. Compounded by, of course, the fact that you can't go outside and do anything because it's kind of against the law in a lot of ways to go out and do basically anything. So. It really puts all the all the big sports guys and I never realized really how much sports content I intake on a daily basis until all of it disappeared at the same time. <laughs> I totally hear that, which, by the way, a lot of these networks are showing classic games, you know, Major League Baseball Network. ESPN's been showing some stuff. MSG with some of these Sabre classics. Have you been watching those? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not they, watching old games really don't do much for me. And in the case of the Buffalo Sabres, more specifically, it makes me mad. I did see the offending enough goal that, that won a playoff game. I, I can't remember who it was off the top, man. I want to say Boston just a couple, it was on a couple of days ago. I saw the highlight. The Rangers game, I think. The Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it was definitely the Rangers. And I saw the crowd going nuts inside the arena, the party in the plaza outside. And I watched stuff like that. And it just infuriates me and pisses me off when I think about the fan base now. And certainly no fault of the fans, the organization. That it's like you can go in there and it's almost like going to a funeral sometimes. It just, it's depressing to me to see how far 
this organization has fallen and how much these fans want to love this hockey team. You know what I'm saying? It's depressing is why I can't watch it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the just give Sabres fans a reason to care and they will care. And they just haven't been given a reason. You, you'll, you will notice uh, that none of these Sabres classics were played since the year 2010 uh, because it's been a really long time <laughs> yeah. uh, since there has been a meaningful game. Um, hopefully, at some point, we, when we do this, when we look back at classic games in 10 or 15 years, there will be at least something from this era. But I was thinking that I was talking with a buddy at work. What is the, the, the classic game you would pick from this era? Is is there one since that Billy Lano goal for Philadelphia on Easter Sunday that knocked the Sabres out of the playoffs for what has to date been the last time they made the playoffs? What have they done? There's been a couple of games that Jack was was good. There's the infamous 10 game win streak game where where Skinner gets the these guys are good, scary good. And then, of course, that season ended up with them tanking and missing the playoffs. I mean, I don't think there's anything positive to draw from this era. And it is a it is a library. It's a church. It's whatever you want to call it at, at Key Bank Center. It is quiet in there for Sabres games. And it's not that that building's not capable of being loud. I'm there, I'm there for every Bandits game. I'm a season ticket holder for the Bandits. And it is a loud building to be in. It's not even at capacity. It's just that the Sabres fans are so disillusioned at this point. Um, that Yeah, I would agree. I haven't watched a single one of those Sabres classics. The only classic event I watched is they had uh, WrestleMania 32 on ESPN last night. I watched about an hour and a half of it because I was actually at the show and I've never <laughs> watched it on TV. So it was kind of cool to see it from the from the broadcast view because I was in the last row of AT&T Stadium, way at the top, 103,000 people and the four of us who went down from New York in the last row backs to the top wall watching up there. Uh, so it was kind of cool to see that from the TV view last night. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. My dummy friend actually texted me during that last night and said, what's going on with wrestling? I thought that there was no uh, arenas. I thought it was no fans allowed in the arenas. I'm like, dude, that's from like four years ago. <laughs> Stupid idiot thought that it was a uh, wrestling going on live that ESPN was a carrier or something like that. And you did pose a really good question about Sabre classics in recent years. I say this half sarcastically because I know MSG would never air it, but you could make an argument that it might be that Columbus game with Atkinson with that goal that kind of clinched getting at least Jack Eichel. Yeah, we, that, that Tankapalooza game that, that saved the, uh, you got the butt goal against Arizona. The next time they played was that game where they were both fighting for last place. Um, that Sabres and Coyotes game that was actually almost exactly six years ago now. Wow, wow, wow. All right, let's switch gears. I want to talk some bills here. Pretty straightforward question. Stephon Diggs, the Bills traded for him. In your opinion, are you good with that trade? Do you think the Bills gave up too much, or do you think the compensation was fair? I'm I'm all about it. Uh, a man wiser than me once said that scared money don't make money. And you look at the draft picks, you're like, oh, I don't know, but you can't permanently be afraid of pulling the trigger for a star player. We talk time and time again on this podcast the Bills need to get playmakers for Josh Allen. And it felt like even though I think John Brown is very good, I like Beasley, I like what they've got developing at the tight end position, they still needed something. Stefan Diggs has been a name that was r- rumored a couple of times. Oddly enough, this one actually hits. You think of all the different receiver names that have been linked to Buffalo or player names that have been linked to Buffalo at some point. This one actually finally hits. Uh, Diggs is a guy who... His stats don't even tell the full story about how good of an athlete, how good of a route runner he is. He was a guy who was drawing double teams. Part of the reason Adam Thielen has become such the phenomenon is that while he has pretty good hands, he also didn't have to deal with a lot of teams' top defensive backs because they were too busy trying to shut down Stephon Diggs on the other side. I am very excited 
I wanted them to use the first round pick to draft a receiver anyway. So why not give up that first round pick to take a known commodity? Uh, taking a receiver at 22, especially and not not to get too off track here to the draft stuff. These are guys, general managers and coaches, scouts who are used to having tons and tons of in-person workouts, combines, things like that to evaluate these guys. Those are all gone. They don't get to go out and watch these guys do anything. So I think the draft, even more so this year than other years, is just a complete crapshoot for these guys. So with that, even more so on top of this, give up the first round pick. It's a late first round pick because you had a good season. You had a known player. You have tons of cap room. There's no reason you can't take on his money. I am a huge fan of the move. I liked everything about it. I don't think they gave up too much. I'll tell you what, that's a great point because I wouldn't, I did, I'd even venture to say that might even play a small role anyway in why they would make this trade because between the three biggest prospects, which is Judy Lamb and Ruggs, and then some of these second tier guys who are still definitely going to be first round picks, guys like Justin Jefferson, maybe uh, Denzel Mims. That's a great point. The Bills didn't get an opportunity to get to know these players up in personal, see a workout. So that definitely is a point. I agree with you, by the way, on all aspects of it, because, yeah, the first rounder at four picks sounds like a lot. But at the end of the day, a fifth, a sixth, and a 2024th. And you got to assume this team at worst should be middle of the pack next year. So that's, you know, mid round, fourth and 2021, I should say. That's not a bad package to pay. And I like Stefan Diggs, the player. You said it. I'm not going to run through all of his stats. Everybody already knows him. And then the one other thing that I'm glad you brought up is John Brown. I think this helps John Brown. Now, maybe he doesn't have the numbers that he had last year because Diggs is there. That's possible. But I think if they don't make this move, John Brown's going to get a lot more attention next year, whether it's a one-on-one matchup with the best corners, like say a Stefan Gilmore. Or a lot more double teams. Well, you're not doing that now. Now you got Stefan Diggs. So I think that this move helps increase the chance that John Brown, not that I thought his last year was a fluke to begin with, because I don't. But this is definitely going to help John Brown next year, as well as Cole Beasley as well, too. So I like it for that aspect, too, because I think it does take away some of the attention that I think John Brown would have gotten if you don't go out and you get Stefan Diggs. So I think that benefits him as much as. Stefan Diggs being in the system is going to help the whole entire team as well. I mean, the other teams in this division have loaded up in the secondary. You got the Dolphins yeah. bringing in Byron Jones. You mentioned Stefan Gilmore. The Jets are a team very much led by Jamal Adams. So how do you combat that? Well, you, of course, add to your own secondary, but the Bills have done a pretty good job of that, and they can maybe still do a little bit of addition here through the draft. We'll talk about that in a sec. But one other way to combat it is, all right, it's an arms race then. You want to put out those great defensive backs? Okay, well, now Stephon Gilmore has to cover Stephon Diggs. Who are you going to put on John Brown? And that just opens up the field. And plus, now Brown has that extra year of just rapport and experience with Josh Allen. So assuming, of course, that this doesn't all drag through OTAs and practices in the summer that – have impact on teams getting ready for the year, which it certainly could. You have another full offseason for these guys to to get together. The other benefit of bringing in Diggs so early here, even before the draft, is he can now start learning the plays and everything a month before the draft, which gives him a little bit of a leg up to get ready for week one, too. I'll tell you what, one other thing, kind of like an underrated thing that I like about this trade, too, is I think it checks that final box where Josh Allen has no excuses now going in the year three. They brought back Spain. Essentially, the it looks like anyway, they're running it back last year's offensive line. 
Maybe they do something in right tackle and four could slide inside. That's still a possibility. But odds are they're going to run back the offensive line, which I'm good with. You got Dawson Knox going in the year two at tight end. Croft is back, hopefully healthy. You have a good running back. You have a great receiver coming in, a legit number one. So now you got one of the better trios of receivers in the NFL. You got a guy going into his third year as a starter, and you got a guy who's got the same offensive coordinator for that entire time too. So I think had they drafted a rookie, let's just say they went and got Justin Jefferson. Let's just say that would have been the pick. You could have heard the excuse, well, he's a rookie. It's going to take him a year or two to adjust to the NFL, blah, 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 this and that. Not the case with Diggs, man. For me, that final box was checked. It's going to be make or break. I feel like it's going to be make or break this year for Josh Allen anyway. I mean, this is how you build around a quarterback, too. Um, you you want to know you get these, get these first-round players on limited-term first rookie deals. You have to try to win in that window. That's what Kansas City just did with Patrick Mahomes. You only get so much time before you have to either move on, like teams are doing, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, now off their respective teams, or you have to pay the guy like Kansas City will inevitably have to pay Patrick Mahomes big-time, ridiculous quarterback money. So while you have Josh on this rookie deal and you have this crazy amount of cap space, even still today, it's impressive how much cap space they have considering how many moves it feels like Brandon Bean has gone out and made here already in the offseason. You have to load up and give Josh the best chance, give your team the best chance to win here in these next couple of seasons before you have to pony up and spend some of that money on keeping Josh himself on the team. Yeah, you just said a bunch of players and the defensive line went through a pretty significant overhaul. Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, we talked about them several times on this podcast during the offseason. They both leave. Shaq goes to Miami, Jordan Phillips to Arizona. And the Bills signed three defensive linemen, two of them from Carolina, because, of course, Mario Addison and Vernon Butler. Then they also had Quentin Jefferson. Now, admittedly, I didn't know a ton about these players until after they became Buffalo Bills. I obviously started watching some highlights and looking at the stats and reading articles and doing my homework. I'm sure you've done the same. When you look at this defensive line right now, how do you feel about it? Do you like it more? Do you like it less? How much are they going to miss Shaq and Jordan Phillips? you think these were adequate replacements? What's your thoughts right now on this defensive line? I mean, assuming that Jordan Phillips is going to continue his production is maybe, I, I think either way, whether he's here in Arizona, he's going to have a little bit of a drop-off. That was a crazy good year for him, and maybe he was just really like Buffalo's system. I don't think that Jefferson is as good as Phillips was last year. I think it's a little bit of a down from just player to player. The other side of that is you hope that Harrison Phillips is fully healthy and back. So maybe just the combination of those two players completely fill that hole. Um, I was on the record, I think, when we recorded here three weeks ago, that I wasn't too keen on paying Shaq $10 million a year, which is what he ended up getting anyway Right. Uh, with the Dolphins. I like Addison. He is older, so it is not a long-term solution, which is the downside of this. If you kept Shaq, he's much younger. You can look towards building more of a future here with him. Um, Addison, I think on a couple of your bases is going to be totally fine. I liked his play before. Um, so I think maybe a slight down, but I don't think it's too big of a deal. The key pieces and the, the most important thing is just that's the same system. And this system has proven that it has worked with a number of different players involved. I think they'll be totally fine. I'm with Jeff Boyd. We are practicing social distancing. Pretty easy to do talking via Skype, considering we're about 1,380 miles away from each other. So as right now, as this roster stands, Another busy offseason with the Bills, probably busier than I thought this free agency period. But as things stand right now, and they could change before the draft, I'm saying as it stands right now, we're taping this on Monday night. 
if you were to power rank the Bills needs right now, like maybe the top two or three positional needs, I'm not sure how many of them are big needs per se, but if you're going to rank them, what would you say right now are probably the biggest needs heading into the draft? Well, the best part about this conversation is no matter what your answer is, they really are in a position where they can kind of go best player available because it doesn't feel like there's anything that's a huge glaring issue with this team. Right. This may be the first time in years, if not my entire life, that I feel like I can say that about the state of the Buffalo Bills. So it feels pretty good. Right. feels good to get that off the chest. Um, I would like a little more security in the secondary, uh, specifically at cornerback. I think a cornerback in the second round might be where I go right now. My top need was receiver. That has been resolved at this point. Doesn't mean you can't add another guy in the later rounds of the draft, but you don't need to look there early on. Uh, maybe you do look to shore up the offensive line. Depends on how they feel about Cody Ford and right tackle. So if they think that there's a guy who's going to improve them on the old line, I think you can always use more guys on the offensive line, especially and you think about last year with, with just a couple injuries. They were one more big injury away from just being completely out of usable players at points on that offensive line. So death is important there. Um, the other area, and this I would maybe even put this one ahead of offensive line is defensive end. Uh, we just mentioned Addison is a little older than Shaq. Jerry Hughes is no spring chicken. Trent Murphy is still present. Um, but I think you have to start thinking about the future for for that position because that is a group of guys who is aging. Jerry's still playing pretty well, but he's not going to have you know a bunch more years in him, you would think, at this level of play. Just get some outside rushing uh, there to help out the interior. If you're worried about losing Jordan Phillips in the interior, make it easier for Latula Lay. Make it easier for... At Oliver on the inside, but taking away some of those double teams on the outside. The one position I wanted to kind of hit on was definitely running back. I feel like right now, I'm not sold whatsoever on TJ Eldon being the RB2 right now. Not at all. Not even close. But I also am not sold on the Bills using an early round draft pick on a running back either. And I know there's a lot of people, man. I really have my pulse on Bills draft Twitter. And it seems like the very popular pick right now is a running back in round two of all mock drafts. I personally don't think that's going to happen. I think it might be more of a case right now where they're waiting out a veteran, like say maybe a Carlos Hyde or a, a Chris Thompson, Lamar Miller. That's a guy that Joe B from the athletic is pretty high on. He's been talking about him for a while. I think that they need to add to that. So for that reason, I think running back would be my top priority as of right now. But again, that could change tomorrow with a simple one-year, $2 million contract for Lamar Miller. Let me ask you this. Are you good with the Bills? All right. I know what you're going to say, so I probably let me rephrase this because it is a true best player available scenario. I agree with you 100%. You're right about that. So if it was a running back who was the best player, sure, then you take them. But it feels like a lot of Bills fans, at least, and maybe even some media people who are messing around with mock drafts, they got a lot of them taking a running back right now. Does that surprise you? Because look, Devin Singletary is a third round running back last year who I thought was very good. I mean, he started out slow. They held him back. But as the season went on, man, he became a really good running back. I guess if you're, if, let me ask you this. If you're going to take a running back at 54, does that tell you, if you're Devin Singletary, that maybe my organization's not as high on me as I thought they were. That's probably the way I should ask you that. I, I would think that he would take it that way. He played very well in the opportunities that were given to him last year, fighting through the hamstring injury, becoming the de facto number one running back, and then having a pretty good rookie campaign. Uh, you mentioned a couple different things that come into play there. Um, I am a, I would be a little surprised if the Bills did take a running back a number uh, in their second round pick, 54 overall. 
it would really depend on who the name is. Now there might be some guy who falls way down from the first round and then you'd look like, well, man, we have to take J.K. Dobbins or whoever it is at 54. It'd be a crime not to. That's that's a different conversation. Your average second round running back, this isn't the NFL from 15, 20 years ago. You don't need a guy who's going to tote the ball 40 times and just barrel between the tackles. True. All you got to do is just get it. It's really a, it's become a running back by committee league. Yeldon can be that third down back at points. I think Singletary should be your number one guy unless there's really just some crazy talent or someone just bust off this, the, just the charts during the preseason or the the, uh, the training camp for the team. I, I don't mind taking a running back. I just don't think that should be your second-round pick at this point. All right, fair enough. So, so far when it comes to the Bills, we've spoken of players and situations that are real. I wanted to spend just a few minutes here going through a couple fun hypotheticals. And one of them was a poll that I put on Twitter. Actually, it was Sunday night going into Monday. Completely hypothetical, fantasy almost level. It's not like this has been something that's been rumored or discussed. I just thought it would be something that was fun to discuss here. And I said, would you trade Devin Singletary and a 2020 first rounder for Christian McCaffrey? And obviously there could be an easy case, I think both ways, at least that's the way I feel, wasn't sure how fans would respond to that, but I had a, a feeling that it was going to be pretty close. And sure enough, it was. I mean, they're talking almost 900 votes. So that's a big enough sample size. Less than 1% difference. People would want to trade. It's like 50.3 to 49.7. Yes versus no. So it's like almost pretty much down the middle. That's a fun trade to discuss, at least anyway, to, to fantasize about. If you were Brandon Bean, let me ask you this. If you're Brandon Bean, do you do that trade? Because I think you can make I can make you a, a pretty compelling case for or against it. I was one of those uh, those yes votes, by the way, on, on your Twitter poll. Uh, I would I would say yes. It's not an indictment of Singletary. I'm a huge fan. I am an owner of Devin Singletary in my dynasty fantasy league. I think he's going to have a good long career as a Buffalo Bill on the current timeline that we're on. That being said, I think Chris McCaffrey is the best running back in the NFL right now. And I don't think it's particularly close. Um, And he also gives you such just an asset in the passing game. How much easier does he make Josh Allen's life? You have a guy who is that capable in the screen game, the short passing game, who makes so many guys miss. He wasn't working with Cam Newton last year for most of the season. He's out there working with Will Greer and Kyle Allen, putting up those kind of numbers. I, The Bills with Christian McCaffrey and Stephon Diggs on top of this team, with the defense they have, they're the best team in the AFC with no question, in my opinion. It's, it would suck to see Singletary go, but you have to. In my opinion, if you're random being someone walks up to you and offers you that, you take it in a heartbeat. I think, again, if I was going to play devil advocate, and by the way, I would, at the end of the day, I would do it because, I mean, you said, I think Christian McCaffrey, forget running back, he might be the best weapon in the entire NFL right now. Certainly non-quarterback, that's for sure. But if you're going to, if I'm going to play devil's advocate and go against that, I would say Devin Singletary being a talented running back, that's the least of it. He is, and I do like him a lot. In fact, I said at one point, he might be the best offensive weapon on this team next year. But anyway, that aside, I think that would be the easiest part of the trade for me to do if I'm Brandon Bean. Giving up a first-rounder in 2021, so you'd go two straight years without having a first-rounder. That's tough. And then you ultimately are going to have to pay Christian McCaffrey because he's one offseason at most away from getting. You just said he's the best running back in the NFL, and you don't think it's particularly close. I agree with you. Well, guess what? He's probably going to get paid that way as well. 
So now you have another monster contract on this team. So you're probably going to have the highest paid running back. You're probably soon, sooner than later for sure, going to have the highest paid corner with Trey White. So my fear would be if you have guys like that, you're going to have to start getting rid of other players to kind of make it work within a structure of a cap. And I would also be worried, I think of the the Rams, for an example, where they went all in. I mean, they're picking up trades. They're getting signing everybody. Didn't win a Super Bowl. And now a lot of those guys are getting shipped out. Todd Gurley. They're talking about trading um, Brandon Cooks. There's lots of guys that they didn't re-sign because they had that tight window because they had so many big contracts. And it just didn't work out. So if I'm playing devil's advocate, my whole point is, it really is, for me anyway, a, a pretty fascinating topic to to fantasize about. Yeah, and, and you're living in now the post-Tom Brady in the, in the AOC East era. So all bets are off. I mean, I don't I don't see any Vegas odds, but it feels like the Bills are top team in that division by a good bit at this point. I mean, they're playing Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer down in Foxborough now. I, I feel like the Bills have this. This is a chance. Yes, sure. You don't want to sell too much. You don't want to don't let you guys get too wide. You got to reel it back in and like think for the future, too. But man, is it tempting just to push the just push all the chips to the center of the table and try to run the whole thing? Yeah, it is. And I'm telling you what, I don't buy it when it comes to the Patriots. I still think, by the way. I think the Bills are going to be favored in the AFC East this year, regardless of what they do at quarterback. I just have this feeling in my gut that New England's got something cooking. I don't know what it is. It's going to be a trade for a quarterback that we don't see coming. It's just a gut feeling that I have, which, by the way, they're also in shitty cap situation. Terrible. I think that if they're not dead last in the NFL, they're second last. So they would have to move a lot of shit around to make any kind of big quarterback addition work anyway. Speaking of quarterbacks, there was the other part of my hypothetical that I had. Now, that first one, again, there's no, there's not even a rumor out there. That was just me playing a little fantasy. When it comes to the Bills and a backup quarterback, if you took Jameis Winston, I put this poll out last week, and it wasn't close, and I kind of expected that as well. I posed the question if you would consider adding a guy like Jameis Winston to be the Bills' backup quarterback. If you got rid of Barkley and you signed Jameis Winston, and over 75% of Bills fans resoundingly said no in a poll. How do you feel about that? What would you, would you be opposed to having a guy like Jameis Winston in Buffalo? Because I feel like the pros would be, he's, look, worst case scenario, he's far better than Matt Barkley, right? Worst case scenario, you got a former starter looking over his shoulder, and let's just say Josh Allen gets off to a slow start and the Bills go 2-3 and three over the first five games. You know how it is in the media and fans. Those whispers are going to get loud real quick. What would you do? If you had the opportunity to sign Jameis Winston, if Jameis Winston can't get a job around the league and, there's, and he feels like this is his best opportunity because maybe Josh Allen's injury prone or he thinks that he's a better quarterback, whatever. If he's interested in Buffalo, would you be interested in him? Depends on whether he's willing to take a step down to actual backup money. Uh, because he's, I'm sure he's out there right now waiting to become a starter somewhere, and clearly that hasn't aligned for him to this point. He's definitely a much more talented, just pure passer than Matt Barkley. That If anyone who says otherwise is just lying, they'd never watch Jameis play. It's easy to just look at the numbers and be like, oh, I can't believe he threw that many interceptions, and he does have to work on improving that area of his game no matter where he ends up continuing his NFL career. Uh, but I would, I would not be opposed to it if he wanted to be here and wanted to work in the system it would be good to have a more mobile quarterback, someone you can follow, Josh. I mean, Jameis has a good, strong arm. 
ideally you want your backup quarterback to have a similar skill set to your starter. So that way, if Josh gets hurt, you don't have to go ahead and change the entire game plan when the backup comes in. Matt Barkley is a very different quarterback than Josh Allen is because Matt Barkley is not nearly the athlete that Josh Allen is. So that really limits a lot of the the motion based offense. We started seeing more and more as last season went on from Brian Dable. I'm not opposed to it. I don't think it's going to work out because I don't think Jameis is working on settling towards a backup quarterback position. If he has anything to say about it, I think he would go play for a starting job anywhere he thinks he has a chance. Uh, So any more veteran quarterback, the Andy Dalton's of the world, although Andy Dalton's not long for his gig in Cincinnati either, you wouldn't figure, uh, might be his first looks. But anything is possible. There's a lot of big names out there still in free agency, and I know the – the state of the sports world with the coronavirus pandemic has really kind of changed a lot of what we consider to be the normal time frame. But it'd be interesting to see where guys like him and Cam Newton really end up because those are some dominoes that you think are going to try to fall before the draft. And if they don't, there's going to be a lot of teams kind of not sure how to approach the position. I wouldn't sign them, whether it's me being a fan or whether me being the general manager. And I'll take it even one step further. You talked about Jameis Woodson having much more talent than Matt Barkley. I'll tell you what, and I know people aren't going to like this. I think Jameis Winston's a much more talented quarterback than Josh Allen, too. I really do. The numbers prove it minus the interceptions. Here's the problem with Jameis Winston, and I guess the the billion-dollar question is, he's a stupid decision maker. I mean, the worst I've ever seen from a quarterback. And again, I watched a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers football down here over the last four years. Horrendous decision maker. I mean, the 30 interceptions are... They are what they are. I mean, they're bad interceptions too. Terrible decision maker, but he's talented, man. He's a talented quarterback. I think the big, the best pro from both his scenario and say a Bills scenario is would be like a Tennessee Titans style from last year where Ryan Tannehill flopped in Miami, goes to Tennessee, he backs up Marcus Mariota. Marcus did not get the job done. Tannehill comes in gets the job done, and they're in, bam, they're in the AFC title game, man. So if you have a quarterback like Jim Swinson in Buffalo, and let's just say, and not this, I'm not suggesting that Josh Allen's going to flop or that from what I've seen from him with my own eyes suggest that he's going to flop, but you can't discount the possibility. So let's just say he's not playing well. Now you got a quarterback who's been a starter in the NFL, a high first-round draft pick. Actually, he was number one overall. Just like Ryan Tannehill was a former first-rounder. You got a talented quarterback on your roster who's, at worst, far better than Matt Barkley. So that's the positive. But to me, the cons outweigh the pros here because now you got a guy who's looking over Josh's shoulder. And again, if Josh struggles early on, maybe that ruins his confidence. It gets the fans talking. gets the media talking. Hell, maybe that gets the locker room talking. You know what I'm saying? So for that's the reason why I wouldn't want him here because I'd be afraid of what it could do to Josh Allen's future for sure. And maybe even his present, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't want to have that thought of someone looking over your shoulder. I don't think Josh would be too worried about it. Um, but I do think people in the media, you, you just, well, how you mentioned it, people feast on it. The second they see an issue, there were people calling for Matt Barkley last season. It's Matt Barkley. He had one good game against the jets and everyone was like, Oh, let's just play Matt Barkley. He'll fix everything. No, he, no, he won't. That's not who he is. If he was that good, he'd be starting somewhere. So, you know, people would feast on it with Jameis, too. 
I don't think it's going to happen for a lot of reasons. I think this team, the way that McDermott and Bean operate is they are very behind their guys who they have selected. Right. Josh is their guy. They don't want to create any distractions, any issues, any anything that will take away from Josh being perceived as their guy. I completely agree with you a thousand percent. I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to roll with Barkley or worst case, maybe add a true veteran backup. And then at the end of the year, if Josh Allen is not working out, if he doesn't take that step, then they reevaluate after the season. But yeah, going into the season, I don't see it happening at all. Want to finish up with a couple other things here, hockey related. Well, at least one of them anyway, the Bagulas. Okay. So this past week they gave $1.2 million to Western New York, the community to help fight coronavirus. And first and foremost, with everything going on, and I'm talking about with the Bagulas here. Okay. I don't want to take away from that donation. $1.2 million that's a lot of money. I don't care that it's a tax write-off because I've seen a lot of critics out there talking about it's just a tax write-off. It is. I don't care. I don't care what the motivation is. None of that matters in the big scheme of things to me because at the end of the day, that money, that's a lot of money. So you can't just completely dismiss $1.2 million. And I know there's people out there who are doing more, but whatever. Having said that, Jeff, this has been a complete PR nightmare for the Pagulas. Okay. It started obviously with the coronavirus and the cancellation of games. A lot of people feel like they screwed over their employees who work these games at the arena. They sent out press releases or statements or whatever, which just basically were changing words and making them fancy. But at the end of the day, these guys are going to end up getting paid probably because the season is going to get canceled, but they're not getting paid before that. You know what I mean? So even if they do, they could have probably used that money then. I mean, I'm I'm not disrespecting anybody who works at the arena for these events, but I'm going to venture to say, if you work there, you probably need that money that week, not in a couple months. Do you know what I mean? And then we'll talk about the 716 employees, what's going on with them in a second. But first, your take on Bagula's given $1.2 million. Is that enough for you? Do you feel like they should be doing more? And what are your thoughts on how they've handled pretty much everything since this coronavirus has started? Well, just starting with the with the donation, what if you dislike them for doing it or, or the way they did it? No one dislikes them for giving the money, but it's not about the dollar amount. It could have been one point two, five point two, ten. It could have been hundred thousand dollars. Just donating money is good. Doesn't there's no way around it. There's no like, oh, well, well they can write. Of course, I'm sure rich people do that all the time. They can write it off their taxes. They still gave one point two million dollars. They didn't have to. That being said. The people are people who are criticizing it, and I might be on this side of it, are well. You don't have the money to pay these people that are relying on their employment with you, which is far less than one point two million dollars, I would assume. But you have this money just to give out anyway. You're gonna have all these people like yeah, these people are waiting two months for their paycheck from PSC. I'll tell you what, their their rent, their mortgage, their bills, none of those are waiting two months for, for PSC to get their act together and wait for those games to be officially canceled, assuming that they are going to be a, a canceled or at least part of them, a portion of them going to be canceled. These people are in limbo. They go and do the things at your games that make it possible for you to have fans and attendants enjoying their experience. They're not the people featured on the program. They're not the stars you don't know them by name but they make these events go and it's weird to me to see them on one hand saying well we, we can't possibly be paying these people 
And then on the other side, be like, but we do have this money just laying around to just give to the community as a whole. You know who some of those people are going to be who are going to need that assistance? It's going to be the same people that you just didn't pay. So they found themselves in dire financial straits. You've cre- you're creating the problem you're pretending to solve by giving the money in the end. What about the people from, like, say, the 716, uh, the store, the restaurant? A lot of those employees got laid off. And I'm not criticizing the Bagulas for that because that shit that's happening all over Western New York, all over the country. That happens, okay? But, again, and these are billionaires here, not paying out the accrued PTO to some of these employees. To me, that was filthy. And by the way, kudos to The Athletic, John Vogel and Tim Graham for calling them out in a story. I thought that was a really good read. It's just, again, I said PR nightmare a couple minutes ago. How do you come back from something like that? I can't imagine right now, well... Maybe winning the Stanley Cup and all is forgiven in the eyes of a lot of Buffalo Sabres fans, I'm sure. But to treat employees. Oh, here's the other thing, too. They got laid off in an email. And they're not even promised their jobs back, dude. They got to reapply for their jobs. They're not even promised their jobs back. I don't think it's possible for the Bagulas to handle this whole thing any worse than they have. Yeah, it's one thing for these people to find themselves on unemployment. That's happening to a lot of people, probably a lot of people who are listening to this. People sure. that you know, people that I know. Right. That being, again, I give them that qualifier. But that being said, there's ways that other people are doing it. There's people who are without work for an indeterminate period of time who are receiving unemployment. Some of those people don't have jobs to come back to. Some of them do. Some places are just kind of, well, we can't keep this business or whatever open until there's people allowed to come back into it. But the way that you don't go about it is firing them by an email, telling them they can't use their saved PTO time because, you know, they should have planned for this global pandemic to happen before they got to schedule their vacation. Um, and on top of that, when inevitably, at the end of the day, these places are all going to reopen. PSC is not going to go bankrupt and have to close 716 or close Harbor Center. These places are going to reopen whatever they are, and they aren't guaranteeing the same people their jobs back, which when I read that is my way of thinking, well – they need people to do it, but they don't want to pay the employees who have, you know, probably earned some raises. They want to just go back and hire everyone at whatever their entry level is again, because they think these people are replaceable. And some of those jobs probably are very easily in the grand scheme of matter that we exist in. They probably are replaceable. But that means that these same people that just lost their job are in a holding pattern, probably can't find other employment. Now don't even have the fallback of, well, at least when this is all over, I can go back to my existing job because they don't even have their existing job anymore. And these are people, I, I, again, not to, not to be that guy, I, I work at Harbor Center a lot. I probably see a lot of these people working at the 716 concession store downstairs or next door at 716 or working the ice or scorekeeping for games. These are people that I interact with on a weekly basis. So it's really terrible for me to find out that they're all kind of just at once just jettisoned off into the great unknown and just have to spend their time hoping that things turn out okay and hoping that you know they can find a job again that'll hopefully treat them a little bit better than this one did at the end of the day. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I know a couple of people personally that work in different capacities for Bagula sports and entertainment, not going to mention them, obviously call them out and make things potentially worse for them. I'll say this. This is how I want to end that this portion of our chat, the whole one Buffalo thing, bullshit, one Buffalo, my ass. Okay. That's a marketing slogan and is nothing more, nothing left. Terry Bagula, Kim Bagula, they're business people. They're not saviors. 
They're business people. And anyone out there who thinks otherwise, don't get it twisted, man. Just don't get it twisted. By the way, I should have said this earlier too. Josh Allen, 25 grand. Tyler Croft, 50 grand. Kudos to some of these players who are stepping up. And I'm sure there's more out there. I'm just talking about Western New York Buffalo Bills players and Sabres players that are going to be doing a lot. So I give them a lot of credit. But that whole one Buffalo thing, I really, I'm, I don't want to hear that no more because to me, it's just a, it's a bunch of bullshit, man. It really is. It's just marketing. I, I, and, it, and it pisses me off. It really does. Yeah, I just hope people remember these sentiments when you get your season ticket renewal for the Sabres next year and those prices went up. Yeah. Because lest we forget, and it wasn't really that long ago, it feels like months ago, it was probably just a couple of weeks ago, that they had Kevin Adams on publicly saying, oh yeah, ticket prices are going up next year. Okay, for a product that's getting worse or at least staying the same every year in an arena that's basically falling apart, but they expect these same people that they're laying off these same people who are friends and family of these people, the same community to just be like, Oh yeah, I'll gladly pay you more money for a substandard product. It is a, it, it feels really bad to be a Sabres fan right now. This is, this is like a, how Ottawa senators fans have been feeling the last couple of years. We're reaching that levels of Eugene Melnick Ness. This is almost James Dolan levels of just having so no connection at all with the fan base. And they are one competent. If, if, imagine if being a McDermott were Rex Ryan and Doug Whaley 2.0, we would be running them out of town with both torches and pitchforks right now. They're lucky that the bills are good because the Sabres are just becoming unsalvageable. I agree. <laughs> last thing here, man. So I want to stick with the Sabres. The last 13 games, they're not a, they're canceled. All right. Let's just face it. The Sabres are not going to play another hockey game until sometime next fall. Those last 13 games being wiped out. Do you think that improved Jason Bottrell's chances of coming back and getting a fourth season as to being a the Buffalo Sabres GM, or do you feel like that's not going to end up mattering that they made up their mind one way or the other? Because for me personally, I feel like if the goal was to keep them here for a fourth year, I kind of feel like with everything going on with the coronavirus and the, and the NHL shutting down again, the Sabres probably not probably the Sabres are done playing this year. If the Bagulas wanted to kind of let Botro coming back slide a little bit under the radar, I feel like, this is that avenue to be able to do that. Maybe you don't agree. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think personally, I think those 13 games were just going to seal his fate. I think they play out the season. He is 100% done so. Oh, I agree with that 100% for sure. But they're not playing I, those games. So, yeah. So I think it's only a positive. And I think he's going to get away with his job for an offseason, partially because of the reasons you just mentioned and partially because. No, we don't know if they're going to have a playoff or what if the, if the whole entire season is just canceled at this point. Either way, you're probably thinking it won't be until like August that there's really an off season again, because either they're going to play the Stanley Cup in July and August, or they're just not going to play anything because we can't still have gatherings in July and August. So, do you wonder if they're going to push back the start of the next season? If they push it back a little bit, or they don't push it back at all. And the Pagolas are going to be like, well, you know, it's not really enough time for us to go ahead and vet a candidate. We got to kind of keep what we have here for another season. I think Jason Botterill global pandemic his way into keeping his job for another year. <laughs> I don't think there's any way they have the time to find someone else. I never thought of it that way, but that is a very good point because if there is a playoffs, it is definitely going to extend longer. Even if it comes back at some point, they're only going to skip the rest of the regular season. They'll have some type of playoff, which of course the Sabres won't be any part of. I also feel like the organization could try to sell you on the bullshit that maybe those 13 games could have went well. They did beat Washington in their last game, that shootout before this virus pandemic shut the league down. I just, I mean, you just said it. If, if they would have played those 13 games, it was 
I just, I mean, the Ryan O'Reilly thing, that's just one. But for me, trading for guys that ended up in the press box during a stretch run where they were, at least at that point, mathematically anyway, still kind of in a playoff race. And they got league and they got Colin Miller sitting in the stands in the press box. Guys that he gave up compensation or players for. To me, that just seals his fate. And I feel like the question should be, would a new GM bring back Ralph Kruger for a second year or would he want his own new coach? To me, that should be the question anyway. But the way you brought it up with the shorter offseason, that is going to make it more difficult unless, again, he's already made up his mind before, even before this pandemic that Patro's out after this. Yeah, and, and the Kruger thing is a, is another talking point, too, because I've been overall pretty happy with how he has performed as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the, the reasons you mentioned, giving up assets for guys who can't even make the lineup and somehow being salary cap strapped with a team with less than 12 NHL wingers are part of the season, uh, that should never happen. If that happens to you, you're you're online, you're playing your hockey manager. OK, that, that's fine. You're just a guy sitting at home having a beer. If that happens to you, one of the 31 NHL general managers, uh, that should be grounds for immediate dismissal. And he got away with it for a few months. Uh, It is the worst built hockey team in this entire tank era. There were teams that were built to lose that had better forward depth than this team that was trying to make the playoffs. It was impressively bad. Uh, So I now again, who knows if he's still on for the 2020, 2021 season. But it, it feels like even if he does, even I guess even if he does come back next year for whatever reason, it really does feel like it's just kind of, unless the team completely turns around next year, feels like it'll still be his last year. I'm going to let you drop the mic with that take. That's a good one. So everyone out there, follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Check out the 716 Sports Podcast, which you said we'll be back hopefully in a week. If not, probably you would say safely two weeks from now. Buffalo 20, of course, is out there as well. Good stuff, bro. I like your fiery saber takes. I wish we had more sabers just to talk about. I really do. I miss them. I I don't miss the Sabres. I miss being able to talk to you about the Sabres. Well, you know, and, and it's going to feel like a long time. I know before world, the world is back to normal and the sports world is back to normal. But at the end of the day, whether you know it's another week, another month, another how long, eventually things will get back to normal. And when it does, there'll be plenty more hockey to talk about, plenty more everything to talk about. So until then, so, you, know, you stay well. Everyone out there listening stays well. And we will at some some way, sometime or another, we will all get through this. So we just got to keep soldiering on. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you again, my man Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast and also from Buffalo 20. Also got to thank today's show supporters, Audimute 26 Shirts, and of course, Sounds Assured. Coming up on Friday's show, scheduled to have Nate Gary from WGR 550. We'll talk about a variety of things, including how life has changed for him Since the coronavirus, he's doing sports talk shows Saturdays from home now in his kitchen. We'll talk about that whole process. Lots of interesting stuff with Nate. I had that for you on Friday. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead. Subscribe to this podcast right now. Rate and review. All that fun stuff. Only takes you a minute and it really helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. Of course, you can catch us on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, pretty much anywhere Future award-winning podcasts are found. Also, check us out on YouTube, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. 
Got some highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Some original audio content as well. Again, something completely separate from the podcast. Moran Analytics Podcast on YouTube. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at PatMoranTweets. I'm pretty much parked on Twitter there several times a day. That's my spot, man. That's where I like to be. Talking sports with fans, podcast polls, uh, promos for the podcast, all kinds of stuff there. So check that out. And again, I always say the same thing to end these podcasts. I just, I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. I know there's a billion podcasts out there, so many good ones, and you're taking time, you're listening to this show. That's humbling. It really is. It truly means a lot to me. So thank you very much. Have a good week. Do what you got to do out there. Stay safe. And uh, talk to you again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.